Hello, good evening. Welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. Uh, this evening, we're going to be speaking about the Israel's ongoing illegal occupation of Palestine and the recent events with the fresh bombardment in Gaza. And I've got, uh, well, we're hoping to have anyway, three guests with us this evening. But unfortunately, Kerry-Ann Mendoza, who's the editor-at-large of the Canaries, is poorly and has not been able to, to join us this evening. But we have a Max Blumenthal, who is the founder and editor of the excellent Grey Zone. And uh, we're hoping that Richard Boyd Barrett will be able to join us. Uh, some of you may have seen Richard's uh, encounter with the Israeli ambassador in the Irish parliament recently. And uh, he's got votes so, uh, in the Irish Parliament uh, a little later this evening. And uh, as I say, we're hoping that he will be able to join us for at least 20 uh, minutes, uh, half an hour or so. And uh, we'll bring him on as soon as we get him, uh, as soon as we can get a link to him. Uh, in the meantime, we'll go straight to, to Max uh, Blumenthal, who I'm absolutely delighted has taken the time out to, to join us. Max has been on the programme before, I'm sure. People have seen him on uh, previous episodes of Resistance TV. And uh, I just want to really perhaps just start, Max, if you could maybe set out what the situation is in the States now, because I've noticed, certainly in Britain anyway, there's been a, a real awakening right around the city. And it's been great to see that replicated, it seems anyway, across the world and certainly over the pond in the States. And indeed, in my home city of Derby, uh, we had probably the biggest ever rally in Derby uh, that I've ever seen. And that, that's been reflected you know, in in other towns and cities up and down the country. And it was great to see there's an organization in Britain called the Palestine Action, and they're taking uh, action against the Israeli arms manufacturer, Elbert, which has several uh, uh, factories in the city. And uh, they recently were doing a, a sit-in at uh, their factory in uh, a city called Leicester, and uh, the police were, were trying to evict them and they were on the roof and they, they called in the, the fire and rescue service uh, to bring their aerial ladder uh, to you know, be able to, to reach the, uh, the protesters. Uh, but, the, but the firefighters refused to cooperate. They said, well, we're not, no, we, we're actually in solidarity with the campaigners. So it was brilliant to see, you know, the trade union movement, uh, firefighters in the fire brigade union uh, as it were expressing their solidarity with the Palestine Action uh, campaigners. And uh, we had a, a march through just my home city, just a little local anecdotal uh, uh, bit of information. And uh, big, again, a big march, a big rally the previous week, a biggest rally I think Derby's ever seen. Uh, following week, a march through the city and uh, with a letter to the uh, present to the local Tory MP demanding that she lends her uh, support. But as they walk through the city, uh, you know, shoppers and people just out for the day were joining joining in and, and coming out of the pubs and applauding them. So it really does seem to have been an awakening. And I uh, just wonder whether that is something that, that you've seen in the States and, uh, and what's been the reaction over there? Well, we're seeing the same phenomenon here. And first of all, you know, shout out to everyone who is occupying the Elbit factories. Um, Palestine Action is doing right now the, the absolute bravest and most important BDS action that I know of, and they are literally putting their bodies on the machine in the way of the machinery of death. Uh, these are factories that produce the Hermes drone that is omnipresent in the air in Gaza. Uh, it's used to surveil everyone in the Gaza Strip and to kill them with the push of a button. So there couldn't be anything more important, and it deserves everyone's support. And I know lots of people around the UK are flocking to those sites of protest to show their solidarity. Uh, there's nothing like that 
<clears throat> taking place in the United States, but we're seeing a very similar phenomenon here. It is kind of a great awakening. It's also a moment where a lot of people who have stayed silent are starting to speak up. Uh, we're seeing the, the dam start to crack in the media, in Congress, uh, that, and, and, and we're seeing unprecedented pressure particularly on the Democratic Party because its base, its youthful base that holds its nose and votes for a Democrat every four years is not supportive of Israel. And polls have consistently shown that most Democratic voters, particularly those who are younger, the future of this party, which is effectively a pro-war, pro-Wall Street party right now, consistently favor Palestine over Israel in polls I don't, the polls are, you know, the, the, the way they frame those questions is it's all wrong. Sorry, I heard some oh, voice. We've got Richard uh, joining us now. Yeah, How are you, Richard? Yeah, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. No, 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 just, uh, this is uh, Max. You probably know Max Blumenthal from, from the Grey Zone. Uh, uh, yes. I mean, Richard, Richard, that's, I said, a, great, Richard, that's a great backlight you got there. Uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Are you trying? Is this like one of those anonymous this, interviews where you're like a yeah, yeah. from the mafia? <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, uh, it's uh, this is the National Convention Center where the Parliament has moved uh, for a lot right. of its sittings because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're sitting down here, so we have this room up near the top, and there is it's a very sunny right. day here in Dublin. So uh, yeah. we're getting the sun. Well, we've got right the sun shining right, right, right behind you. So the sun always yeah. shines on the righteous, uh, comrade. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Richard, uh, just uh, before we bring you in, um, we've we've got actually a little compilation video which Max hasn't seen yet. Uh, that wonderful uh, uh, confrontation that you had uh, with the uh, Israeli ambassador. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I want you to just talk a little bit about that and your efforts to get the okay. Israeli ambassador uh, expelled. Um, so uh, I'll just ask Gaz now. Gaz, could you just play that uh, video and then we'll we'll bring in uh, we'll bring in Richard and then we'll go back to, to Max obviously. Okay, Deputy by Barrett. Uh, ambassador, I, I will say frankly, I'm one of the people who thinks you should be expelled from this country, and uh, I believe that uh, that's nothing to do with you personally. Uh, it's to do with the policies of your state. And uh, I think, uh, along with Desmond Tutu, that the time for treating you as a normal state is over because you're not behaving as a normal state. That leads me to my first question. You have tried to cover over what uh, you have done, the killings of innocent people in Gaza on three separate occasions over recent years, the seizure of Palestinian land and so on, by attacking Hamas. Now why don't you just uh, admit that Hamas didn't exist when the first intifada took place. They didn't set up an armed wing until the early 1990s. But the ordinary Palestinians rose up because you denied them basic rights. And isn't it the fact that the law of return, which is the basic law of the Israeli state, is a racist apartheid law because it confers rights on Jews that it denies to Palestinians? Uh, it allows, for example, if I was Jewish and had never stepped foot in Israel, I could claim citizenship there tomorrow, but six million people whose origins are in what you now call Israel, who were forced out in 1947 or 48, do not have that right. Isn't that part of the reason why the Palestinians are in dispute with Israelis? Because you deny them the right to return to their homes and to their land and to their villages, and that they have a legitimate uh, claim, even under international law, to return, but you deny them that right. Why do you deny them that right? 
and what you give that right to other people who have no connection whatsoever with the land, whether you call it Israel or whether you call it Palestine. But what they've asked for is to lift the siege of Gaza. Just to lift the siege of Gaza. Let them have an airport. Let them have uh, ports. Let them not be dictated to by a government for whom they do not vote as to what can go in and out of their territories, whether they will have power, whether they will have clean water, whether they will have medicine. What makes you think you're allowed to have nuclear weapons and the fourth biggest army in the world and visit destruction on the, the people of Gaza, but they have no right to defend themselves? They have no territorial sovereignty over that land. Would you ask questions, please? How do you justify that? How do you justify those double standards? Great, great stuff, mate. Yeah, so Phil, give me a round of applause uh, there for, for that, Richard. I mean, um, obviously you've been calling for the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador. I saw your question uh, to the Chishak uh, the other day. Um, how's that going? Because there was going to be, there's due to be a vote, isn't there? I mean, has that happened or? There's going to be a vote tonight. So uh, right. if I get called away, it, it's because we of understand. that vote. Absolutely. Uh, so, so yes, the, 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 I mean, obviously, like Max and yourself were describing, we've had a huge, uh, you know, outpouring of disgust yes. at what Israel has been doing over the last uh, few weeks. But it, it's, I, I think, it, not just the size is bigger, but the sort of maturity of understanding of people about what is going on, about the historic sort of, uh, you know, uh, crime that has been inflicted on the Palestinian people. I think people's understanding and knowledge of that is greater than ever. And, and you know, without exception, at every protest, what people were saying is this is an apartheid state, this is a racist state, uh, this is ethnic cleansing, uh, we have to treat Israel the same way as we treated South Africa. And that's a big change in, in the sentiment, whereas uh, often people saw it as just the latest atrocity in a conflict between two sides. But I think now the vast, vast majority of people understand that you know, there's something deeply wrong with the the Israeli state project, uh, and that it is an apartheid regime. So I think the time for uh, to make the case for treating Israel the way apartheid South Africa was treated uh, is you know we've never had a better opportunity because people's understanding uh, has reached that point. Not not all the politicians, I think, uh, but but a huge you know swathe of people. I think a growing number, maybe a majority. I don't know, but uh, certainly in this country, I think it is probably a, a majority. So in, in that context, we put uh, there was a motion in the door, which was not a bad motion about annexation of territories yes, uh, occupied in 67. Yeah, now the government watered it down slightly, but it, wa it was right. passed and will pass last night after the debate. But we put in an amendment uh, which didn't subtract any of the points on either of the, the original motion or the government amendment, but added, because a lot of it was commentary and legalistic points about annexation. But what we added is, and the government will do the following. Uh, and those things were acknowledge ethnic cleansing, acknowledge war crimes in Gaza, acknowledge the apartheid nature of the state and expel the ambassador and impose South Africa style sanctions uh, on Israel until apartheid is dismantled and Palestinians have the right to return. So that will be voted on tonight. I mean, I, being honest, I don't think it'll be uh, it voted through, by, particularly by Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, but I do think it will get significant support and there's a huge sort of popular support for it among the Irish people.
Well, that's really good news. And just on your point about apartheid, I mean, it's obviously sort of a point that uh, that Nelson Mandela uh, made about the freedom of the, you know, freedom is incomplete until, we, you know, we achieve the liberation of the Palestinian people. But Cyril Ramaphosa was uh, very recently uh, actually uh, doing an interview, uh, I think it was on French TV, uh, where he again reiterated that point that uh, Israel is an apartheid state. But, uh, I mean, Max, that's... Uh, must be music to your ears, isn't it? So seeing that kind of um, political support that Richard just outlined, wouldn't it be wonderful to see something like that in the States? How close are we to getting anything like that, do you think, with any of the, uh, the, the well, I assume it'd be the Democratic representatives or senators actually pushing anything remotely, approaching the sort of things that Richard's been doing? Well, I don't have any, uh, to be honest, I don't have any real faith right now that the Democratic Party is going to be able to get anything through Congress or will, or will, given its current leadership, want to do anything to even impose conditions on aid to Israel. We've seen Bernie Sanders, Senator, head of the Budget Committee, uh, presidential contender, attempt a sort of last minute hold on a, three, a $735 million shipment of JDAM bunker buster bombs, which will be used in the next assault on the Gaza Strip. We're authorized on May 5th, right ahead of this current assault in which we saw those very bombs used to kill entire families around the Al-Shifa hospital in central Gaza. And the uh, administration and Congress basically found a way around the hold. Bernie Sanders kind of gave up after, you know, puffing out his chest a little bit um, there were there were all kinds of sad attempts in Congress. The head of the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, Gregory Meeks, said that he was going to put a hold on that weapons shipment, but then the next day he caved under pressure from obvious elements. And then you have the Progressive Squad. Uh, they then protested. They issued a letter of protest. But the the weapons are on the way. The public has been out in record numbers. I mean, we've seen protests here in places that have never had. Palestine solidarity protests like Pensacola, Florida. There was a huge, big protest in Las Vegas. Uh, there were protests in giant protests in Kansas City, uh, and then not to mention, you know, ten thousand in D.C. I didn't even know that most of the people there. I was there with my friends. We're always at you know the Bolivia, the protests against the Bolivia coup, whatever. It's the same group of activist people uh, and media people surrounded by ten thousand people who came out of just came out of nowhere. So there's, it's not just an awakening, it's the eruption of an entirely new generation of activism and pressure on the Democratic Party, but it's just an undemocratic party that is not mm. responding to it. So all we can do here is keep the pressure up. And I wanted to mention that, uh, and this will be very familiar to you, Chris, in the past week, almost the moment the ceasefire was declared, the Israel lobby initiated a campaign in the media to allege a wave of violent hate crimes against Jews yeah. across the United States. And I published a uh, analysis of the videos they were distributing to make this allegation and photographs and, wit and I, I gathered witness testimony as well. <clears throat> and it appears to be completely manufactured based on scuffles between pro-Palestine and pro-Israel demonstrators that were often, or actually in most cases, initiated by pro-Israel fanatics, including members of the Jewish Defense League, a group classified by yeah. the FBI as a violent extremist group. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we are now in like this kind of information war in the United States where we have 
the Israel lobby, President Biden has come out and denounced hate crimes against Jews. I mean, it's it's gone to the top and they are trying to criminalize Palestine solidarity af after this great awakening. And I know you're familiar with that in the UK. Very much so. Well, I th the, the similar sort of uh, tactic uh, clearly is being uh, deployed in, in the UK. And, uh, you know, you've got the Secretary of State for Education, for example, uh, threatening universities that unless they adopt the IHRA examples of anti-Semitism, that they will cut funding. We're seeing academics being um, well, demonized, pursued, uh, persecuted, uh, trying to force them out of their their employment. Uh, we're working at the moment with the Left Legal Fighting Fund to uh, support uh, academics who are affected in that in that way. And uh, one of whom is somebody like a very prominent one, uh, um, David Miller, uh, where there's been a very heavy duty effort to try and get him get him out. I want to come back to you though in a moment, uh, 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 if I can, Max. I just want to get uh, Richard's uh, reaction uh, uh, to something in a moment. But I just want to ask you about the in a moment, Max. That is about the 500 or so, as I understand it, staffers. That have written to Biden demanding that he holds Israel to account. But, but Richard, do you do you have a similar phenomenon uh, in Ireland with uh, you know people weaponizing anti-Semitism? That's not no. Happened. To be to, to be blunt, no. And they wouldn't get they get short shrift in Ireland if they did. I'm not saying it never happens. I mean, we had a group of pro-Israeli spokespeople came into the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, last week, including the Israeli ambassador. Again, I was. I was in there. I'm not on the Foreign Affairs Committee, but I crash into it whenever whenever they come in. I, I went yeah, in. Good for you, Matt, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I said much the same thing, but uh, they, interestingly, the camera went off when I was speaking, so they, we couldn't oh, get really? the recording. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was interesting, yeah, but anyway, yeah. uh, they said it was a technical hitch. But anyway, but yeah. no. I mean, they peddle that line, but no, honestly, nobody here takes it seriously. The there's no there's nobody no. Uh, at any level of the, of. Uh, you know, serious politics, right or left, who would give that any purchase? What about the and media, I think Richard? Do, do the because because here we got. I mean, it was like when when they were chasing me. I mean, it was hysterical. It was like know, on every kind of national news broadcast, the the print media. You know, it was astonishing. And much of what it, I was being accused of anti-Semitism was because I was defending Jewish people who'd been falsely accused of anti-Semitism. And that was the I evidence know. that I was somehow being a Jew baiter. I even got accused, believe it or not, and I got a letter from the leader of the, the Jewish, uh, so-called Jewish Leadership Council and various other people, celebrities rowing in behind it, because I'd had the temerity to sign the Book of Commitment and made a, a statement about, you know, the horrors of the Holocaust, the, the importance of solidarity, that we need to stand together to to prevent any, any you know, appalling atrocity like that from ever getting any sort of traction in the future. I was pilloried for that, pilloried, and saying that was an example of me jubating. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's, it's Orwellian. This, this, yeah. It is Orwellian, but, but what yeah. was here, you had it being weaponized, obviously, by the Zionist yeah. lobby, uh, weaponized by the right wing of the Labour Party and the, you know, the military industrial complex and the media, which is a kind of mouthpiece for, for those vested uh, uh, interests. Um, and uh, you know that's how it kind of got the sort of uh, traction, really. That that it, that it did. But you but you've, you've not afflicted by that sort of. Problem, I mean, I'm right? not saying it's never said, but it has no traction, uh, no traction well, at all. And yeah. th there's yeah. nobody in serious politics who would ever accuse us of that. There was, there was one minister who was very pro-Israel, uh, uh, a guy called Alan Shatter, but and he occasionally would sort of maybe imply it, but he's gone there. But uh, really, it would have very very little traction. 
the the and I suppose the reason for that is because people in Ireland overwhelmingly, even people who are sort of somewhat to the right of centre, they understand the historical analogy between Ireland and Palestine, and they understand that partition uh, and the sort of colonial enterprise that uh, is the Israeli project is exactly. Uh, the project uh, that was used to partition Ireland, to encourage divisions between Catholic and Protestant, uh, and 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 perpetuate uh, a terrible uh, and unnecessary sort of sectarian conflict. And people really understand that quite deeply uh, and uh, see the analogy with Palestine. So there's a pretty instinctive identification with the Palestinian struggle and an awareness that you know, even though sort of unionism in this suggested, you know, Catholic and Protestant couldn't live together, that actually Catholic and Protestants and dissenter do live together uh, in Ireland, uh, except in the areas where the colonial settl uh, settler enterprise is still present and everywhere else they live happily together. So people yeah. see that analogy and they're, I think, instinctively, sort of buy into the idea of a one-state solution, that if if people just had equality, if the Palestinians had the right to return, if everybody was treated equally, if you didn't have apartheid laws, uh, that there's absolutely no reason why Jew and Arab uh, uh, and Christian and people of no religion couldn't all live together. And, uh, you know, I think there's just that instinctive understanding and an awareness that the background to this is imperialism, is divide and rule. Uh, and setting people against one another. And of course, I mean, something that uh, you probably are familiar with, but, a lot, you know, when Sir Ronald Storrs in 1936, it was in Jerusalem, the Governor General of Jerusalem, he directly talked about ex ex importing into Palestine the Irish model when he said, we'll create a, a loyal little Jewish Ulster uh, against a sea of potentially hostile Arabism. And a lot of the troops, in fact, that were sent into Palestine in those years were directly from Ireland. They'd been involved in trying to suppress the Irish Revolution during the 1918 to 1921 period. So there's a very close historical link. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, Richard, do you think it helps, though, that in terms of the political situation in Ireland, that you've got a sort of a proportional uh, representation system. I mean, in the States and in Britain, of course, we have first past the post. We've basically got two mainstream parties. I know it's a bit different in Scotland now where Labour's been wiped out, which was a new Labour enclave there. And that's that's why they got completely trashed. Um, but I mean, do you think that's been, that's been helpful in Ireland? I mean, because uh, I mean, I just perhaps you could say as well, I mean, what kind of support is there for in you know, the, the mainstream party, if you like, I suppose, Fianna Gael and Fianna Foyle. I mean, is there much support for the Palestinian struggle within the within those parties they, too? They, or they all have to say they support Palestine. Now, right. I mean, in practice, they still, you know, they, they, they'd very much say two-state solution. They, they feel it necessary to condemn Hamas in every statement that they condemn Israel. And they sort of, they would peddle the equivalence of, you know, of the two sides kind of notion. But even then, they would still be quite strong in sort of saying there's been a historic injustice done to the Palestinians. That's even, the you know, on the right. And so, for example, the motion that did, got passed last night, I mean, our motion is going further and the government won't support it. But the motion last night is not insignificant. It's a motion which the government and everybody has signed up to say is there is de facto annexation going on of Palestinian territory and that it shouldn't be... Yeah. 
uh, it shouldn't be deemed legal in the eyes of the Irish political uh, system. Okay, now that's it's not as far as I'd like to go, and it's only limited to uh, the area occupied after 1967. But it's not insignificant uh, in terms of really saying what what Israel is doing is illegal. Uh, and has to be stopped. So that's that's even on the conservative end of Irish politics. And then you move into the the body of of Irish society, and actually the opinions are are go much further than that. And they really sort of say this, you know, we need the liberation of Palestine from apartheid and from a, 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 an imperialist colonial setup. Uh, you know, I think that's the way people yeah. a lot of people see it. Mm. I mean, they certainly go, in a, you know, even even the sort of conservative politicians and Max in, in Ireland are going a, a hell of a lot further than even the sort of so-called progressive Democrats, are they not? Um, you know, over in the States there. But what about that 500 or so uh, staffers? I read something, uh, I think it was in The Guardian, so the 500 staffers have, have written an open letter to Biden demanding that he holds Israel to account for its atrocities against the Palestinian people. What, what, what's happened with that? And what, what chance is that of making any progress? Well, I just I just wanted to say before uh, responding to that, that, you know, I've done speaking tours across the U.S., across England, in almost every major city in England, across Scotland and in Ireland and Belfast and elsewhere. And I think Dublin as well. And, you know, you, it's it's like going up in levels of enlightenment from the U.S. to England. And I was always counter protested in England by, you know, absolute hooligans who would even physically attempt to physically assault me and prevent me from entering. Remember, I spoke at a Quaker uh, meeting hall and a guy assaulted me outside. He physically shoved me and tried to prevent me from going in. And I told the organizers, uh, this guy assaulted me. Are you going to call the police? Like, I can't give this talk. He's sitting right here in the front row. I don't know what he's going to do next. And they said, this is a Quaker meeting place and everyone is welcome here. And I said, all right, well, I'm leaving. If you don't call the cops, the cops <laughs> took him outside. No had a nice talk with him and, you know, they were very nice to him. And then they just let him go about his way. If he had been a Muslim guy, he would have been arrested, brutalized for sure. Going in a synagogue, it would have been a national <coughs> outrage. And anyway, you know, then I get to Scotland, the counter protesters go away. Then I get to Ireland and it's like, these are the wokest, coolest white people I've ever met. Uh, they totally get it. Everybody I meet gets it just instantly. And they're they're just ready to they're ready for the revolution. Uh, so, you know, if uh, it's interesting, Max, what I, you said by the way about the, about the uh, everybody's welcome at the uh, friends meeting house, the Quakers friends meeting house, because I've actually been barred from speaking at friends meeting house oh in um, in uh, Brighton. They cancelled the meeting in Manchester. They wouldn't they wouldn't hold the meeting. This, uh, this was Manchester. Manchester. Really? Oh well, they wouldn't have me, mate. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, 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 I never could understand the the uh, the hatred of the, or the the resentment of you, even from certain left quarters or pseudo left quarters. I could just yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. trying to I was trying to figure out. Well, did he really say something anti-Semitic? Where is it? Where's the evidence? And <laughs> it all seems to be based on conjecture. I experienced the same thing here, even within what passes for the left in the U.S. But but just to your question about these 500 staffers, um, yeah. I actually wasn't aware of this letter. There's so much happening right now that um, right, some right, of it gets right. lost. But I guarantee you that everyone who signed this letter is almost all of them are younger than me. I'm 43. Yeah. They're all uh, very online, so they're watching. They're they're really plugged into social media, and 
the difference between 2014 and 2021, I covered the war in 2014 from inside Gaza, from outside, from every angle, is social media is such a huge factor. Uh, you didn't have tweets with video from inside Gaza of young people who speak perfect English, who are educated in UN schools, uh, who are also social media savvy, showing what was actually happening there to the same degree in 2014. Now they're getting 6,000 retweets, 10,000 retweets, and they're affecting this generation of young progressives who, you know, they went through the Trump era and they thought they had this monstrous Nazi president. They wanted to help a Democrat win. They come from good families and they see what the Biden administration is doing, what the Biden administration is willing to permit with entire families being removed from the civil registry in Gaza because 10, 12 members are being killed in one single airstrike. They're seeing it. And they are also part of this massive George Floyd moment in the US where if you were any remote, if you were remotely progressive and young, that's where you had to be in the streets after what happened with George Floyd. I mean, the protests here, they started out as like radical direct action. Then the Democratic Party came in, the NGOs came in, and you started to see 200,000, 300,000 people in the streets, people coming from around the country. And I think that's flowed directly into this moment of Palestine solidarity. Uh, the, 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 the Biden administration is stuck in 1996. So the contradictions are exploding. They, they've sent Tony Blinken over to meet with Mahmoud Abbas. I don't know how, what, what, what pills he takes to keep alive and just keep going. He has better stuff than Fidel Castro had and obviously less popular support. Um, but he's just this dinosaur dictator who the U.S. is keeping there so they can say that they met with a Palestinian when they're just going to reassure Israel. And Tony Blinken is someone who has met with APAC, our main Israel lobby organization, in a private, well, not a private meeting, but a small meeting. And he declared to them, this was uh, just a few years ago, he declared to them that he inherited his support for Israel's strength and security from his family. It's inherited. So can you imagine a Hindu nationalist who is elevated to secretary of state going to mediate a uh, dispute between India and Pakistan over Kashmir. Can you imagine the outrage and, and global ridicule that would cause? That's what's happening with Tony Blinken going to Israel-Palestine. And he's talking about, we need a two-state solution. We need to give aid to Gaza, but it can't fall into the hands of Hamas. It's the same old formula the U.S. has been trying since the Oslo era. And all it has brought is separation, dispossession, exclusion, and more occupation for Palestinians. So the, the, this tidal wave that we're seeing, that letter, the list is only going to grow. And this tidal wave is only going to grow stronger as the pressure increases within the Democratic Party. The sad thing about our politics is, you know, uh, while our government condemns Syria's election, our elections are just at least oh, as much. So, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. they're, I mean they're, these young people have no one else to vote for nowhere else to go and that's the way the democratic party aims at the moment it. but there is a there is a, a move to create a third party isn't there in the state so whether that will get any traction or not well we don't have we just we have a system that is really set up to prevent that from happening a kind of federalist mm -hmm. constitutional system and uh just to give you an idea of how rigged it is when um 
Ralph Nader was polling at around 10%. He was doing very well in 2000. He demanded to be a part of the debates and the debate committee, the presidential debate committee refused to allow him to enter the premises. Mm -hmm. And he was actually arrested for even trying to get near the premises. That's because the presidential debate committee every year is controlled by one director of the Republican National Committee and one director of the Democratic National Committee. And so they conspire to prevent the public from even knowing about a third party. So I just don't see, I don't see where the way into the system here in the United States is. And it's why I think an anti-imperialist analysis is, is important. We have to look at the way that the, the global order is changing and understand how geopolitical winds are actually shifting and the the stymieing of Israel's powerful army, one of the most powerful armies in the world, is actually symptomatic of a wider shift in the in the world order. Yes, no, indeed. I mean, well, look. I mean, it looks like Ireland are sort of a blazing a, a trail for us, uh, Richard. And uh, I mean, just the very fact that you're having a vote on the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador, I think, is is significant. If uh, you know, when the Zeitgeist is, is right, and you know, and people feel sufficient pressure. It seems that that is a possibility in Ireland that it could very well get up to a point in the hopefully the not too distant future where you do actually expel the Israeli ambassador, and, and that hopefully will set a precedent for for other nations around the world. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, the tide is moving ever more in in in, in the right direction or the left direction <laughs> in terms of. Uh, in terms of support for the Palestinians and outrage at uh, at Israel and at the apartheid state. So uh, we're gaining ground all the time. And as I said, even though I, I think we won't win the motion for boycott and uh, for sanctions and expulsion tonight, we will get a significantly good vote. And there, mm. there is a shift even in official government policy. Um, so, yeah, and the Irish Congress of Trade Unions here I have a, a support to boycott uh, sanction and investments. I mean, they need to do more about it, but nonetheless, uh, they formally support BDS. Uh, so, you know, that's indicative of where things are at. And, I mean, you were asked earlier on about PR. I don't know if it's the sole explanation. I mean, there's, there's that sort of historic anti-imperialism. But, yes, PR has helped the left. There's absolutely no question about it. Uh, and we wouldn't be in the position we're in of having a significant number of people on the radical and revolutionary left in Parliament who are constantly pushing uh, the boundaries, if you like, of uh, debate on a whole range of issues and really bringing the movement of the streets and the movement of working people into the Parliament, um, which, you know, yeah. wasn't there before. And that that changes the dynamic. And it also helps encourage the movement on the streets. Do you know? I mean, ultimately, it is yes. about yeah. the, the, the movement of people and the movement of workers. But if you've got people in the parliament who are uh, helping organize and encourage and give voice to those movements outside, uh, that dynamic is, is a fantastically uh, strong dynamic. I mean, tomorrow there's a big dr- uh, protest of taxi drivers who've been hammered through COVID. And uh, I don't think they'd be protesting, but for the fact that some of the left have given them a voice inside to uh, yeah. give them uh, courage. But of course, it's their protest that's going to make the difference. Do you know what I mean? It's not mm. us. No, but uh, so, yeah. and, and that's true on Palestine. It's true on a lot of issues. That was true on the, the repeal of the eight, the win, the big win on abortion rights. 
recently. So we're certainly moving in the right direction. I don't want to say, by the way, though, it's ever onwards and upwards. I mean, we have had for the first time small, small little signs of far right organizations growing. Now, they're small. Uh, they don't have any foothold in Parliament, uh, but they did begin to appear around some of the COVID skepticism stuff and uh, that kind of thing. So we can't be complacent. But the, the thing is to build that radical and uh, revolutionary and socialist left both on the ground uh, and in the Parliament. And on that note, you may hear a bell in the go. background. Well, good luck, good luck, good luck. Which means, that, yeah. yeah. But listen, it's been great to talk to you, Chris. Yeah, and... thanks, Richard. We must get you on again at some point, mate. And thank you for taking the time out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a little bit uh, garbled in terms of, uh, you know, getting things sorted uh, about that. It was a bit of a crosswise towering. But anyway, you better get yeah, going, mate. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck to all of you. And best good luck to the struggle yeah. in, the, in the States as well. <laughs> you too. Yeah. Our time will come. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say before Richard uh, uh, left there, um, uh, Max, that uh, you know where this political failure, and clearly in the states and in and in the UK, there is political failure. Uh, we shouldn't despair because there are things that can be done, like you know the street protests. But practical things that, that that Richard was beginning to allude to, and I wanted to get his reaction to it as well as yours. Unfortunately, he's obviously had to shoot off for that important uh, vote. But you know, through the trade union movement, and, and I saw that fantastic um, initiative taken by the dockers in South Africa refusing to unload the ship there. So there's things that. Uh, you know, we can push within our sort of institutions on the left, the trade union movements and so on, to be taking those practical steps that can really sort of build the pressure. Actually, build the pressure on on, on, on Israel, obviously, uh, but also build the pressure on, on the politicians. I don't know whether you agree with that in terms of... Well, I think, you know, the, in the US, the, the BDS movement is an expression of frustration because it's possible to do the B boycotting for citizens the d sometimes is possible within certain institutions and you know i've participated as a speaker at various divestment hearings and campuses across the u.s uh in every case in every case the overwhelming majority of the students favor divestment the pro-israel forces are outnumbered and uh they i mean one of the most shocking events was to speak at the university of michigan michigan is um the home or the base of the Arab diaspora in the U.S. Arab, more Arab Americans there than anywhere else. Dearborn, Michigan is majority Arab, I believe, right outside Detroit. So Michigan has that proximity. Um, there were hundreds of people in this room. It was very dramatic. There was a line around the block and most of the people in the room were there to support the divestment hearing. Um, but then you have the student council, which has to vote on it. And they voted it down. And I subsequently learned that Members of the student council had already been recruited and supported by APAC. That APAC, the main arm of the Israel lobby, was actually running candidates for student council, um, particularly uh, minority students. They were especially targeting black students um, with free trips and uh, internships in Washington, career opportunities. So that was shocking. I mean, they control... They, they aim to control every elite institution and leave the public in uh, the margins. And it's a perfect metaphor for what happens in Congress and in so many other institutions. So getting to the S, which is you know sanctions, sanctions would take the form mm -hmm. of refusing to send Israel parts to repair the F-15s, refusing to send the $750 million of bunker busters, refusing 
all arms shipments. If, if that happened, Israel would come whimpering to the negotiating table the next day and the situation on the ground would change before this um, live stream ended. That's all it will take because mm -hmm. Israel is totally dependent on its direct line to Washington and the $4 billion of aid. And another reason why Congress is so reluctant to give up that aid is because Israel's never forfeited a loan payment. It basically gets the money and then the money goes straight back to Texas and Colorado to uh, places where there are factories for Elbit systems or uh, the platforms, the major weapons platforms yeah. that the U.S. sells Israel. The U.S. will not allow Israel to make its own attack jet. And that's because of this military Keynesianism that our economy depends on because yeah. the F-15 has to be built here and sent there. So it, it, there, there are so there's so much to overcome, and I think BDS is an expression of our frustration at how undemocratic our foreign policy is. Yeah. And just before we bring in the um, our, our viewers so to get a quick reaction from from them, Max. I, I mean, Richard just touched on the the role of the far right, and uh, it's interesting that we have a situation where the you know the far right and the Zionist movement in, in this country are. Are very close, and I just want to play a quick clip. I don't know if you've ever heard of a bloke called Tommy Robs Robbins. Uh, yeah, of uh, Tony Robinson. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Steve Stephen Yaxley Lennon is Yaxley. his real name. Yeah, that's right, Yaxley Lennon. Um, or, or just play this. I'll just get guys to play this quick uh, clip, really, because see, there was a rally in support of Israel uh, at the weekend, I think it was, and uh, sure enough, yeah, he's he's there, and uh, just listen to what he has to say and the reaction to him. Me and the Jewish Board of Deputies' response to my presence at the demonstration is hilarious. It just shows how out of touch they are with their own people. You'll see, because you'll see the video of the response I received from the many Jews that were there. Total opposite to what they're saying. They are the politically correct, apologetic, pathetic, weak, cowardly leadership of the Jewish community. You know the irony is, uh, Max. I mean, particularly given the you know the history of the the far right and the Holocaust and uh, and so on, um, is that uh, certainly in the UK anyway. I mean, that they've been helping to foment the whole phony anti-Semitism crisis inside the Labour Party to undermine, obviously, Jeremy. And Jeremy's mistake was not actually standing up to them and fighting them. And and obviously they came after me and various other people. And uh, I mean, the whole Corbyn project has collapsed now. And we've now got somebody. Uh, who in Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, who says he supports Zionism without qualification and has been very muted yeah. in, in his uh, comments about the, the terrible war crimes that Israel has just recently committed in Gaza. I mean, it's a shocking state of affairs, isn't it? And it's something I think that we, we really do need to get that message out there, this, this kind of connection between the far right and this right-wing racist settler colonial ideology of Zionism. Nothing to do with well, Judaism. You know, but I mean, obviously they try and conflate the two, don't we? The special relationship is built on shared values and we see them playing out at these rallies. Um, and just, you know, quickly on Keir Starmer, it's pretty obvious why he's there. It's not to win elections. It's to restore establishment control over the Labour Party. He has the yeah. charisma of a filing cabinet and he also has deep <laughs> ties to the national... <laughs> He has deep ties yeah. to the national security state, which we've, oh, yes, um, indeed. Covered. We've had Matt Kennard we've speaking about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's article is really important in laying out yeah, who Keir Starmer was. Yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah. At yeah. the gray zone. And uh, he is an avowed Zionist, so he fits. He checks all the boxes. He's a he's a loser who will allow uh, the party to be um, depopulated of yeah. progressive energy. So that's everything. That's everything the establishment wants. And meanwhile, the Israel lobby is basically becoming a receptacle for far right trash like Tommy Robinson, as it is in the United States. And you can just look at the polling data I cited at the beginning of this conversation about where the Democratic Party is going. The Republican Party is more pro-Israel than it than it has historically been. We should remember the last president to actually withhold aid to Israel until it changed Israel's behavior on settlements was a Republican, George H.W. Bush. So the Republican Party is completely shifted. Donald Trump successfully revealed in this great four-year unmasking of imperialism that Benjamin Netanyahu's agenda was what we always knew it was, annexation. And Trump supported it. His major donor, Sheldon Adelson, was behind the scenes and in some ways just sitting in the front row at press conferences with Trump and Netanyahu on stage, uh, sort of just greasing the skids for this whole project. And everyone got to see what Israel and Zionism truly was. But what they don't tend to know is that this relationship between the far fascist right and Zionism has always been there. The Zionist right during the 1930s and 1940s embraced to a certain degree uh, elements of the Third Reich. And elements within the Third Reich, including um, Eichmann's deputy in the uh, German Jewish office, von Mildenstein, actually went on trips to Zionist kibbutzim. Uh, von Mildenstein came back to Germany with a special medal he had been gifted from the right wing of the Zionist movement uh, that featured, and I've actually seen this medal because it was purchased by a researcher named Lenny Brenner, uh, mm. who wrote one of the most subversive and completely factual books on Zionism called 51 Documents of Zionist Nazi Collaboration. Lenny Brenner actually let me hold this medal in my hand. It had a Star of David. It was a, I mean, it just it shows how unfortunate it is for Zionism to claim this symbol of my faith community, the Star of David on one side and a swastika on the other. That was the medal given to von Mildenstein when he returned. Actually, uh, Jabotinsky, who was the sort of intellectual godfather of revisionist Zionism, the right-wing Zionism that inspires Netanyahu's Likud party, had to uh, tamp down on support for Nazi Germany within his party. In 1933, the Stern Gang that would later give rise to, or that produced Yitzhak Shamir, future Israeli prime minister, issued a letter after Hitler's election to Nazi Germany, uh, pledging to establish a fascist theocracy inside historic Palestine that would be allied with Germany. And then there's the Havara Agreement that mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Ken Livingstone was pilloried yes, for so mentioning. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Havara Transfer Agreement was an agreement between the left wing of the um, Zionist movement. It was uh, really uh, overseen by David Ben-Gurion, who was the head of the major um, labor unions in historic Palestine, the Zionist labor unions, and his deputy, Haim Arlasarov, 
was, um, I believe, assassinated by right-wing Zionists because he was so proud of making these deals with Nazi Germany uh, that he bragged about it in Haaretz at the time. He was shot on, you know, in the, in the middle of Tel Aviv. And what they were doing was they were exchanging Jewish property and people inside Germany. Uh, they would get the people and some of their property and they would agree to let the German government, which was run by Hitler, take a portion of that property as well as the, some of the money, the family money from those people who would then be sent to historic Palestine. You can argue, well, they were saving those people's lives, but they were openly trading with a anti-Semitic fascist regime uh, to advance their narrow historic goals. And what did they do to resist that regime? 200,000 Jews fought as partisans. Many of them died in the woods of Belarusia and places in across Eastern Europe fighting the fascist Nazi forces, while many of their neighbors collaborated with them. What did the Zionist movement do? Pretty much nothing. They let one young woman, Hannah Senesh, parachute into Eastern Europe, get captured and died, and they barely gave her their blessing. So uh, Golda Meir was deeply uncomfortable about that operation at the time. Mm. So this, 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 this relationship is historic. Uh, it is something that has always upset me about Zionism, is that whenever there's an actual attack on Jews in the West, I mean, there's a lot of bogus allegations of anti-Semitism, but there are also hideous, violent attacks on Jews as Jews. For example, the kosher supermarket that was attacked in Paris. I visited that supermarket after the attack. I did a film actually with my friend James Kleinfeld, um, who's now part of Al Jazeera's investigative unit. And we also worked on the uh, lobby investigation together, which I'll talk about in a second. But we, we, we did a film called Je ne suis pas Charlie about the atmosphere of France after these um, attacks. And we found outside the supermarket, lots of people had come to put flowers. It was, it was like Al-Qaeda criminals had gone and committed a shooting spree against Jews. And there were flowers outside, but the Israeli embassy and Zionist groups had actually come and put manuals uh, targeting the Jewish community on making Aliyah or emigrating to Israel to basically leave Paris. So yeah. you have anti-Semites, anti fascists, um, jihadists who want Jews out of Europe. And then you have Zionists who want the same. They want them to go to Israel. It's very convenient for people who don't like Jews to have this place thousands of miles away where they can go. In this country, most of the people who support Israel and Netanyahu, the, the strongest, are Christian Zionists. And they see us Jews as instruments in their eschatology, their vision of a rapture. We all have to emigrate to historic Palestine in order for their vision of a rapture and the cleansing of the earth from satanic elements to occur. And so the leading Christian Zionist pastor in the United States who has a church with something like 20,000 members in San Antonio Cornerstone Church, his name is Pastor John Hagee, he has referred to Hitler as a hunter and Herzl as a sweeper or a fisher. And he believes that Hitler was actually playing a role in a, um, in a religious sense that he was basically brought to earth by God to chase the Jews away. And that Herzl was also brought to earth by God to sweep them in 
to the historic Holy Land in order to fulfill prophecy. Uh, I can't think of anything more disgusting or anti-Semitic no, than that, but this absolutely. is just what he believes. And this is what at the base of the Republican Party now believes. Yeah, shocking, shocking, really shocking. But listen, uh, we're about out of time, but I want to just get a quick reaction, if I can, uh, Max, from our uh, audience. We did start a little bit late, so we're not uh, up to the hour yet. Um, but uh, Lizzie, sure uh, what, what have people been saying? <laughs> yeah, well, lots of questions for Richard, which unfortunately we missed. Um, how do you feel about the sudden surge in protests supporting Palestine? I know that in America that's not quite the case. I mean, your dad uh, was an aide to Bill Clinton. Was the Israeli occupation an issue in that during that presidency? And um, why do you think it's occurring now? Not then. Well, the 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 Clinton administration presided over the Oslo Accords, which were the most one of the most deceptive peace supposed peace agreements I can think of. And what it did was provide the basis for the separation of Palestine and the creation of this dictatorial Palestinian authority. And Edward Said was the leading Palestinian dissident speaking out against Oslo, warning that what would come would be the isolation, for example, of the Gaza Strip, that it created the context for Gaza to be besieged, um, that it was not a peace agreement, and that it would lead to, Israel had no reason not to violate it. There was no final status agreement. Everything Edward Said wrote was right. And Arafat actually had his books taken off the shelves in Ramallah. Uh, he came under harsh attack even from uh, other Palestinians more to the center, but he was right. And Oslo is the reason why we are seeing these constant wars around the Gaza Strip. It, it was under Yitzhak Rabin, who was hailed as this man of peace, that the first fences started to go up around Gaza, that him and his labor minister, Haim Ramon, began laying the blueprint for a separation wall because they wanted to make sure that Palestinians would get as little as possible of East Jerusalem as a capital. The point of the separation wall is to separate Palestinians from the West Bank from Jerusalem. And in this current round of escalation, we see how isolated Palestinians in Jerusalem are. The Palestinians from the West Bank can't come in and join them in their protests and support them. Um, they're literally blocked from a, by a wall. And that's the point. The point is to prevent an intifada, to prevent a popular uprising. And that all started with Oslo. And I think a lot of the people who were around Clinton negotiating that are still out there as pundits and they're just completely lying. But there are other people who came out of the, that, that um, era of the Democratic Party who agree with those staffers who wrote that letter to President Biden. Um, there's just, there's, there's not, I, honestly, it, within the Democratic Party, there's very little love for Netanyahu's Israel, but so many people who still have careers are afraid to say it. Right. And we've got uh, a lot of questions concerning Richard. Um, do you think that uh, the fact that Ireland don't don't America have anti BDS laws? And so Ireland being how big is Ireland a part of America? Because we have a, a, a huge population of Irish Americans. So perhaps you can answer it. Um, you know, why is Ireland able to 
to speak out, speak out and be the most woke people, as you called them earlier. And also that if they can, they achieve BDS. Well, my experience, this is purely anecdotal with Irish Americans, is that um, they're very diverse. I don't want to stereotype them, but they're not like the Irish people I met in, in Belfast. Uh, some of them who came here during the first wave of immigration in the 1840s and then the subsequent one felt discriminated against in the U.S. They weren't fully white, uh, and so they overcompensated. And that's what accounts for the Sean Hannity's and the Bill O'Reilly's, these right-wing um, Irish uh, kind of demagogues. They're overcompensating for the historic discrimination they experienced. And then uh, you had like a lobby here that actually even raised money for the IRA. And that lobby just basically disappeared. Is not They don't share the same solidarity with Palestinians. I, I went into a pub one of the first pubs in New York City that's still around, McSorley's, they brew their own beer. They have two kinds of beer there. It's like a dark and light. Uh, and there's on the lights above the bar, there are these wishbones that were put placed there by men who were on their way to World War I. And the wishbones that were not claimed meant they didn't come back. Um, so that's how old it is. And on the wall is a uh, photo of Ed Koch, and I believe Jerry Adams, I'm not sure, but and Ed Koch signed it. He, this is the former mayor of New York during the 1980s, yeah. he wrote, Ireland will be free. Ed Koch was also one of the biggest, most aggressive, uh, practically fascistic pro-Israel supporters um, as mayor. And he would call anyone who criticized Israel within New York politics an anti-Semite. So that really shows the hypocrisy on the issue, the lack of, the lack of connection there. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I, you don't see, I mean, you don't see, you know, Irish flags at Palestine solidarity rallies. You do see, um, increasingly you see flags representing leftist movements, uh, in Latin America, you see the Wipala of the Bolivian, um, indigenous movements. Uh, you see, uh, there was a, a, a Sandinista flag flying at the DC rally, uh, last week. Uh, and one of the flags, of course, that you see most, what that you saw most, the foreign flag you saw most on, on January 6th, going back to Chris's previous question, during this riot at the Capitol, this right-wing riot, was the Israeli flag. Uh, I was there yeah. at the Capitol, and I saw Israeli flags everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Listen, we're well, out of time. Uh, uh, um, I was going to say that was say. it. All right. Okay. Mate. Yeah. Thanks for that, mate. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time out, uh, Max, to uh, to join us. And uh, been a really excellent contribution as usual. Hopefully, we'll get you back on in the not too distant uh, future. We'll see how things develop in in uh, Palestine over the coming months. And, and let's hope that uh, Richard's efforts, uh, you know, start to blaze a trail for the sort of a political response. But we mustn't just simply rely on our politicians. There's things obviously that we can do. Uh, through our movements, uh, through the trade union movements in particular, to to really make a difference, not just in terms of raising consciousness, but actually, you know, explicitly making a difference, like those South African dockers were doing. And, and that's the thing I think that we all need to not despair, but to just get organised, get organised in right. our uh, communities, get organised in our trade unions. And, uh, and that way, you know, we can force change, even if the politicians don't want to bring it about. And I, hope, I think you'd probably agree with that, would you, would you Max? But... Uh, well, we're, we're seeing uh, 
We're seeing uh, union dock workers in Italy refuse to offload Israeli goods. We've seen that in Oakland with the dock workers here. And we're seeing right. these direct actions grow where new factories, a new factory was taken, an Elbit Systems factory by Palestine action, and more people rushed to their support. So it's an encouraging moment. I learned a lot from this live stream from Richard, and I'm going to definitely raise awareness about the the vote, because even awesome. if it doesn't go our way, it's a great forum for continuing to raise awareness and keep the pressure on. Definitely. I mean, and just in terms of that point you made about, uh, you know, about, about people kind of rushing to 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 support. Uh, I don't think we were referring to the Leicester incident, because as well as the the firefighters from the fire brigade union refusing to assist in the eviction of the um, of the protesters from Palestine action, uh, when the police were trying to move in, the, the community came out. In there, in huge numbers, yeah. and barricaded. Yeah. They let them move. You know, it was just incredibly inspiring. It's wonderful to think just up the road from where I live. It's kind of in my region. You know what I mean? So it is great to see that you I know mean, the people. Are, are Chris, I've had work. so many, I've had so many incredible experiences just going around the country uh, to to speak about Palestine and have people from communities like the Iranian community in Westwood, LA, which is a bastion of yeah. pro-Israel support, organize private events for me out of the blue. Uh, people in Washington, D.C., just in their homes, they're moved by the cause of Palestine, and it is completely reshaping politics at the grassroots level. Well, indeed. And, uh, you know, let's hope it's a catalyst for not just the liberation of the Palestinian people, but for an absolute sea change around the world. And so thanks again, Max, for uh, for joining us this evening. Thank you, everybody, for watching and uh, hope you enjoyed it. I think it's been a really excellent uh, edition this evening. Next week, we've got Rad, Rod Driver back uh, with us, our uh, resident uh, academic. Now. He's going to be speaking about excessive wealth disorder and how the rich destroy society. So that will be one to uh, uh, look out for. Well worth watching, I hope. Uh, you will agree. Uh, so thanks for watching this evening. Uh, join us next week at the same time, seven o'clock on Wednesday. And uh, until then, uh, look after yourself and we'll see you then hopefully. Good night.